You're listening to Past and Present, the Colonial Williamsburg podcast. Hi, welcome to the podcast. I'm Harmony Hunter. Colonial Williamsburg's historic area has long been home to scores of historic tradespeople, everything from apothecaries to tailors, wig makers, shoemakers, coopers, carpenters, the list goes on. There are more than 24 historic trades in all. But today, it is a real privilege for me to introduce uh, a new tradesman, the tinsmith. Uh, Steve Delisle is our guest today. Thank you for being here today, Steve. My pleasure. This really is exciting. I feel like I'm, I'm lucky to be here at Colonial Williamsburg at a time like this because these trades are so um, revered they're, and they're so such long-standing institutions that to be able to welcome a new tradesperson is exciting. You're at the cusp of a new tradition. Well, you can imagine how lucky I feel to be the first tinsmith here. So tell me a little bit, uh, as we're meeting you, um, let's see, you're joining us at the Armory Complex. We're just about to reopen our interpretation of Anderson's Armory. This used to be interpreted as just the Anderson's blacksmith shop, but Colonial Williamsburg now is interpreting this area. We're presenting it to our viewers as it would have been um, during the time of the Revolution. Tell me how your trade comes into that story and onto that, uh, onto that site, onto that complex. Well, we represent uh, the tin shop that was uh, an operation there between 1778 and 1780. And uh, tinwares uh, in the period was mostly related to um, vessels used for uh, either uh, food preparation or uh, simply f vessels for, uh, for food. And this kind of tinware was found uh, in all the kitchens uh, used uh, by everyone. Everybody would have been very familiar with tinware. So help me picture this. Would this be a coffee pot, plates and spoons? What types of things? Well, uh, mostly what we made in that shop were, uh, were kettles for soldiers to cook their food in. Uh, but we also see things like uh, coffee pots, uh, cups and saucers. But it's not only limited to uh, vessels for food preparation. Uh, we also see in the lists uh, things like uh, lanterns or uh, speaking trumpets uh, that are mostly used by the Navy. Um, it might be surprising to uh, find a shop that mostly is uh, making vessels for food preparation as part of an armory, but you have to remember that an army marches on its stomach. So uh, these uh, vessels are uh, for food preparation are very important logistically, as important as uh, the work that's being done next door in the blacksmith shop refurbishing weapons. So that's what the tinsmith is doing here. Tell us about your background. How did you come to join us here? Well, I was always in uh, metal fabrication all my life as a tool and die maker mostly, but I always had a strong interest in history. Uh, eventually these uh, interests uh, collided. Instead of making uh, uh, objects that will be uh, set in space or uh, used on battlefields or uh, used for, um, um, for making objects out of plastic, which was, is what I was making as a, a tool and die maker and machinist, uh, I decided to go back in time and uh, continue that interest in metal fabrication, but 18th century. How did you come to wrap your head around this trade and how it was carried out in the 18th century? Did you have to unlearn things that you knew from your modern practice? Yes and no. I was uh, always very uh, good at uh, bench work. So uh, even though I was working in these uh, modern uh, environments, uh, they, I was always the, uh, the one in the shop that could do the things by hand uh, quicker and faster sometimes. So I would end up with a lot of bench work. 
so I always had a knack for uh, making objects out of metal by hand. Uh, I also volunteered in the blacksmith shop here several years ago, uh, specifically to understand how objects were made uh, during that time. From what I understand, molding iron, uh, as the blacksmith does, and molding tin are two very different processes. The, the, the mediums behave quite differently. Yes, yeah, so I like to compare uh, tinsmithing as uh, being somewhat uh, halfway between what a silversmith does and a tailor, in that the tin is kind of a material that's flat. It's like two-dimensional. And um, we work with patterns, so we, we trace. Uh, the parts that we need to cut out, and then we form them and seam them and uh, assemble various parts to form usually containers, vessels for food preparation or food service. Uh, but uh, we don't forge our metal. We don't push the metal to its limits. It comes to us in sheets that are uh, specific uh, sizes and thicknesses, and we don't forge. We simply form. Uh, we might push our material a little bit to give it more, um, more like a repoussé work sometimes, but it's very, very rare. Usually what uh, our product resembles uh, geometric forms, uh, cylinders, uh, truncated cones, objects like that. How were you learning about the, the craft in the 18th century and the individuals who were practicing it? Yeah, well, traditionally, uh, most uh, crafts are learned uh, through apprenticeship. So uh, typically uh, seven years, or uh, in the case of a man who would end on, its, uh, on his uh, 21st birthday. But this is a luxury that you yourself didn't have at Colonial Williamsburg in, in our revolutionary city. <laughs> no. Most people learning the trade have the luxury of studying under a master, but you're coming in without having had that opportunity to learn from well, someone else. So how did you teach yourself? Well, uh, part of it is practicing uh, by myself, buying the tools and practicing, but I did get my basic notions from other tinsmiths. There are still uh, many tinsmiths, just like there are many blacksmiths, who are practicing uh, that, uh, that uh, trade or that craft uh, using traditional, uh, traditional methods. Uh, and uh, I was fortunate to uh, be guided, well guided from the start by, uh, by good tinsmiths. And, uh, and I, once I got my basic notions, I just practiced on my own uh, very seriously, buying the tools. There's still many tools that are available. Usually they're more like uh, 19th century tools that are still uh, available. But uh, some of the forms are persistent, and a lot of the stakes, the spe those specialized anvils that we use, uh, did not change very much from the 18th century to the 19th century. Now, many of our tradesmen and tradeswomen uh, in the revolutionary city are patterning their interpretation or patterning their shop after someone, some individual from the historic record. Are you able to pattern your interpretation or take um, enlighten your interpretation from a tinsmith of the period that you're able to study? We, uh, we know the name of only one of the tinsmiths who was working in, uh, in the tin shop at the, uh, the armory. His name is Nathaniel Nuthall. So he shows in the records, but uh, we still have to, uh, to research uh, that fellow uh, to learn more if we want to be able to, uh, to do that kind of interpretation. So right now it's a pretty much a generic interpretation. What do you know about Nuthall, is it? Only uh, not, not very much. He shows in the records. We know that he's uh, being hired, paid for the work in the tin shop, but not more than that. 
as we're welcoming you here to uh, the Revolutionary City and welcoming you to the Historic Trades Program, I can't help but think about how many tradespeople I have interviewed who have talked with such reverence about the masters that came before them. What are your feelings as you begin? You're, you're the inaugural tinsmith. You're starting a tradition. Do you feel like you have big shoes to fill? Do you, do you feel that you're at the, at the head of, of something great? Oh, yeah, there's a lot of responsibilities. Uh, Williamsburg is a, is a class act. <laughs> we have to, uh, to, uh, to do things at a, at a standard, and, uh, and I think we'll, we'll, we'll meet that uh, challenge because uh, we're so uh, enamored with our trade. Uh, when you're in love, there's, uh, everything is easy, and uh, we certainly uh, have a lot of people here who love what they're doing. So uh, it's, uh, it's uh, a lesser effort if it's not an effort at all. Well, we really are excited to have you here, and I hope that all of our guests get a chance to come see you working in concert with your fellow trades who are at Anderson's Armory Complex. When and where can they see you interpreting the tinsmith trade? We are uh, right next to the blacksmith shop within the Armory uh, compound. So uh, as you walk into uh, the blacksmith's, uh, the forge, that is, we're right on the right-hand side of that uh, of that building. The blacksmith shop is painted white and we're the red building right next to it. So head to the red building and meet yep. Steve Delisle. Yes. Learn about the tinsmith. And, and my apprentice, Joel Anderson. And the, oh, and the apprentice, of course. Yes. You have to start the tradition. We should also mention that we are grateful to uh, donors Bill and Judy McMillan for their help with the reconstruction and securing some early tinsmith tools. A lot of our programs would not be possible without our donors, oh, so no, we want no, to express our gratitude. Their help was invaluable. Uh, they uh, they uh, gave us a, a, our basic uh, collections of tinsmith tools that the blacksmiths have reproduced so that I have uh, correct uh, period uh, tools to work with. Uh, also, uh, they have been a consultant on the project, on the tin shop project. Uh, it, it would not have been uh, possible uh, with the quality that we have now without their help. It's a great site and a great interpretation. We're so glad to have you here, Steve. Thank you for being our guest today. My pleasure. We're always glad to hear from you. Send comments or suggestions from our webpage at podcast.history.org or find us on Facebook. To support the podcast and other Colonial Williamsburg programs, visit history.org slash donate.